I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 45 of the Stream Bucket Podcast. Yeah, here we are. We're almost on the magic number. The big 5-0. No, a big 5-2. What's, what's the so good about This is five, supposedly two? the TV thing. Uh, syndication. If you've got 52, epi- uh, 52 episodes or 52 series or whatever, uh, you can be shown every week in a year. Oh, oh, oh my god. That's why Red Dwarf had two more series after it ended. Oh, really? So, yes. Fun, fun, fun fact. Oh, wow. So soon we, uh, someone could start from the start and listen to us once a week and then get... For through. a whole year. Oh, yeah. Uh. God bless you, future man. We yeah. admire your sacrifice. Thank you, brave fan. <laughs> getting through those first <sighs> testy episodes. Yes. Yes, indeed. How are you, Rob? Uh, my eyes are screaming. My eyes are screaming. I'm in pain. My hay fever has just gone mental. It's This is the time. We're recording quite late. Uh, this is the time it comes back with a vengeance. Yeah. I went to the shop yesterday, and um, it was like the very rare time of the year where all the blossoms are out, and it looks like it's snowing. It's all sunny. Really? Yeah, I thought that was, was before, man. That was yesterday. That was yesterday. <laughs> it was mad. It was so beautiful and nice. And then when I got back... My eyes were screaming. Mm. So I'd ha- I'm looking forward to when the flying ants appear. It's oh, a big, like, big moment of the year. That's like an apocalypse. Yes. Flying ant day. There'll be wafts of evil, black, chitinous monsters yeah, yeah. flying at you. Yeah, a big moment of English tradition. Oh, it's wonderful. You get it in your jam and your yeah, scones. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah, eat yeah, them yeah. and you devour their energy for the future yeah. war. Yeah. 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 You mean, uh, what are we talking about on the show today? Uh, we've got all sorts of gubbins. Ooh. Yes, gubbins. Gubbins. A harsh word. Yeah. Harsh so, word. last time you chose the word devious. Yes. For the film pick. And the film I picked, it was such an amazing choice that they even said the word devious in the movie. Yeah, like one of the first lines describing the main character. Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, the main antagonist. <laughs> the film is Basic Instinct. Yes, 1992, Paul Verhoeven, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone. We're getting... Hang on a minute. So so far on um, Screen Bucket, we have reviewed Showgirls, Total Recall. Did we review Showgirls? Did we just watch that and talk about it? Oh, did we not do a whole review? I don't think we discussed oh. it properly. No, no. Okay, no. but we... we, we, we you well, know. Did we? I can't remember. I can't remember either. We had, um, we've talked about bugs relentlessly in terms of Starship Troopers. We haven't actually reviewed it, but um, <laughs> it's come up a lot. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven. So yeah, and we've also done uh, a Michael Douglas classic film, which oh. was called The Thing with the Man Getting Angry. Man, uh, man down. No, falling down. Falling down. Did we review that? Yeah, we discussed it. We discussed it. We didn't review oh, it. Oh, hold it. on. Yeah, we discussed it as the thing. It wasn't what? It was our film of the week? Yeah. No, we didn't. Maybe, no, tell you what. Tell a lie. It was Nick. Thank I did God, it with Nick. Thank God for that. I, I thought I was going mental. Yes. I keep forgetting things. I forgot the whole <laughs> thing that we did before. And Anyway. <laughs> yes, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, Rob listens back to all of yeah, the shows. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, uh, Basic Instinct. Uh, before my Shmoma. What else are we talking what? about? Say that again. Bit for night, more night. Yeah, which is what? Uh, the news. Oh, well, the last, the big events of the last two weeks. Yes. Got some review, film reviews coming up and a game review from Nick, aforementioned Nick, betrayer of Rob, yes. speaker of falling down. 
Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> of Holodell Media. Oh, no. No. To mean lazy man. Yes. Yeah, I said. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh. Jumps ahead a bit. We're going to first talk about what we've been watching. What have we been watching, Adam? What have I been watching? Oh, we watched Sightseers. I've been on a yes. bit of a Ben Wheatley binge since I watched The Field in England a couple of weeks ago. Yes, you were mad about Ben Wheatley. Yeah, I've bought loads of his stuff. Uh, you still haven't seen Free Fire, have you? No. Free Fire you should watch. That's probably the most mainstream of his films. Okay. That's IRA fighting... Uh, mafia, oh, my some her- sort of crimson. It's my heritage. Yes. Okay. It's very good. It's just uh, an hour and a half, two hours of people crawling in the dust, shooting each other. Great. It's very fun. Uh, Field in England, obviously reviewed and loved on the last show. But yes, Sightseers, regarded as one of the best comedy British comedies in years. I mean, it's for a very specific kind of comedy fan. I it's mean, it's very dark. It's very dark. It's very like. Weird. It's very like unsettling sort of humour. Mm. I like it. Yeah, it was very, it was very funny. I mean, especially the guy with the um, with the prototype camping <laughs> yeah. um, instrument. I think that was Richard Glover like, playing that part. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. It's very good. I've still got a uh, kill list to go, which is supposed to be the best British thriller right. by Ben Whitley. So yeah, it's a little, little binge, a weekly binge. Oh, nice. Yes. But yeah, I've been working on various stuff, so I haven't really watched too much. Clone Wars! I've been watching Clone Wars, still. Oh, yes. Uh, Big man-child. Yeah. It's very dark. I there. know, it's always, that's what they all say. It's, very, it's war, it's lots of war. Mm. What have you been watching then? I have smashed the first three episodes, episodes, films of Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I've watched them when I was a teenager ages ago and Hellraiser the case the video case I always remember seeing it in Blockbuster and Video Empire used to scare the living daylights out of me <laughs> Pinhead was so scary on that case and I because it, it was the I think the, I remember it it was the fear of the unknown I was like what is that film about and it's so horrible what is he going to do well, yeah, that's, that's the, I think that's how most horror fans will describe their entry into it going yeah. what is it and then what? thinking about it and yeah yeah um the first two movies are really good and they work amazingly as a two-parter because uh, as big fans will know um, we parodied Hellraiser 2 in um, our 31 Days of Horror yes 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 Adam watchable you, on YouTube you played the nasty psychiatrist man who goes into hell and gets corrupted and to think I hesitated when you meant to sing and a mm. film that uh, the films you, they use a lot of epic classical almost Indiana Jones style scores and yeah the music's really it's very bizarre it's epic yeah it, it doesn't match with what your first impression of Hellraiser would be it gives a feeling of like awe in terms of you you find yeah. hell, oh, yeah. hell awesome as opposed to like terrifying you're awed by this terror pain yeah um, Pinhead was always the centrepiece of like uh, the fans that I loved him the most so the first two films work fantastically together. Hellraiser three, I loved them. I'm just thinking, I was not that Pinhead was is okay. I don't think he was the highlight for me. Then again, I'm thinking back. He, he had the most like to the extent he had the most lines, but he was yeah, he, and he had a mystique about he it. He had a mystique because he didn't do much. He, he turned yeah, exactly. Up. Yeah. Um, but then in the third one, it's they go full Pinhead. He's stuck in the like a. a, a a nasty young club owner buys him from an antique store stuck in this giant wedge of like clay torture and then he comes out and starts speaking to him and 
um, gets him to take unsuspecting girls back to the room so he can drag them to hell. But yes. he's so in your face, and he doesn't stop talking, he's in every scene, and he's yeah. so cheesy and corny, and it sucks. Like, uh, uh, what year, Do we know what year Hellraiser Pre came out? I, if I had to hazard a guess, 91, that'd be my guess. Because I reckon it probably... 92, Ooh. yeah. So, I was just thinking, how, did it just suffer from the Freddy Krueger syndrome? Of just making the, the main character more and more sort of silly. Yeah. And, but then that was quite a long time after that, so... I'd say so. But I, I spoke to you after I watched more, and you said there's another four or something. Yeah, let's see how many there are. Because I know they've carried on, and it's not, not worth it. Yeah, I'm... Um, Ten films, Rob. What? There oh. are ten films. The last one came out in 2018. And I know for, for a fact, I haven't seen it, but I know for a fact that's not worth watching. It's a shame. Well, it's the sort of film you'd expect a big studio to pick up for a big um, reboot, like all the other films. Well, that's the thing. It's not really been rebooted. It's just it's carried just, on. It's just carried on like a long, wet fart. Dragged into the dust. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, it's a shame. I think four's supposed to be okay. Oh, but there he is again. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Bugger off, Pinhead. Four is uh, an American science fiction horror film. All the rest are British horror. British American. Really? 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 Mm. Oh. Oh well, I, well they, I guess they've got a lot of British in it. Like the 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 redhead woman well, is Clive Barker's British. A scouser. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, good heavens. Good heavens. So yes. Huh. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about Hellraiser. Bloody hell, Clive Barker's got a great occupation list on Wikipedia. I want this. This is my dream to have a long Wikipedia page. Occupation, author, film director, screenwriter, producer, actor, playwright, painter, illustrator, visual artist, game producer, comic writer and comic artist. Why he's got all of them? Apart from music? Yeah. He's got all of them, all, all of the things. All the arts. I, I admire that. Oh, God. Fair play. Cool. Right, well, let's get on to a review. Adam's Retro Film Reviews. The Breakfast Club, 1985. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over... They'll break the rules. <coughs> Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone. You don't have to. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. You may have heard last Saturday that Screen Bucket took part in a tweet-along watch party from Universal, hosted by The Nerdist. If you've not done a tweet-along, it is good fun, although only a trained mind can resist the urge to vomit smug bile by the end of it. The film being shared across the globe was the 1985 John Hughes classic, The Breakfast Club, and sod it. There's nothing else out there to review, so let's just roll with it. Written in just two days, The Breakfast Club was inspired by John Hughes' own schoolboy memories. Saturday's Attention, which is tantamount to child abuse as far as I'm concerned, was nicknamed The Breakfast Club, and sure enough, the film opens on Saturday morning with the club's 
latest members. First we have the prim and proper Claire Standish, played by Molly Ringwald, the jock Andrew Clark, played by Emilio Estevez, the shy Brian Johnson, played by Anthony Michael Hall, the goffish weirdo Alison Reynolds, played by Ali Sheedy, and finally we have the criminal and overbearing John Bender, played up to 11 by Judd Nelson. Each of them have found their way to detention for different reasons, and none of them are very happy about it. Supervised by Assistant Principal Vernon, played by Paul Gleason, the kids are tasked to sit in the absolutely ridiculously large school library, in silence, without moving, to write a thousand word essay about who they think they are. Except, they're not really playing ball. Well, Bender isn't playing ball. Bender is the sort of guy to start an argument for argument's sake and sure enough is quick to get into a heated debate with his teacher and as soon as he leaves, Bender turns his anger on the rest of the group. Bullying Brian, antagonising Andrew, making aggressive passes on Claire and just ignoring Alison. However, despite his initial anger, Bender's humanity begins to seep in, especially when Vernon, sick of Bender's antics, locks him in a cupboard and threatens him. A genuinely terrifying and uncomfortable scene where Bender turns from brash and arrogant to whimpering and flinching in front of the teacher. No doubt a form of PDST from his father's own treatment of Bender at home. One by one, the group opens up to one another and between spontaneous dancing, deep heartbreaking conversations and even a truly bizarre weed smoking moment wherein the weed was obviously cut with something very unpleasant to make Andrew dance the way he does. In the end, we're treated to a group of young people revealing that they're all screwed up. Indeed, as are the audience watching at home. Some people are just better at hiding it than others. Okay, so The Breakfast Club is hailed as one of the best Gen X films out. It launched the Brat Pack, it opened the doors to teen dramedies, and still inspires people to this day. It's undoubtedly iconic, but, and hear me out here, I do think it's a bit of a car crash. As mentioned, John Hughes wrote the first draft in two days. It's sprinkled with gags as well as long, in-depth scenes of improv from the cast. Judd Nelson, by the sounds of the cast and crew stories, was just as extreme and infuriating as Bender was on and off set. The Breakfast Club is, to me, a patchwork of egos and ideas. It's messy, it's choppy, and it lacks a singular voice. But you know what? I think that's probably why it works. It isn't a middle-aged man writing the words of the children, it's it's actors interpreting their characters under the shadow of John Hughes' vision. The scenes of soul-bearing grief are disturbingly real, and between gags and light comedy, there's some serious and real emotions on display here. Is it a crisp and efficient film? No, but it works. What doesn't work is the love story that comes out of nowhere, wherein Alison is forced to stop being herself and instead becomes a preppy Claire light before Andrew notices her. Yeah, be yourself, understand who you are, just as long as you look like everyone else. Everyone clear on that? Great. The Breakfast Club. Oh, Robert! Oh, why have you got that for? What? Why have you got two shot glasses? Two shot glasses? Why have you got two shot glasses? Oh, maybe to put something in them. Oh. I'm resurrecting an old feature that we haven't done in a long time. All right. Called Show and Tell. Okay. And now it's Show and Tell. Screen bucket. Oh, that looks rather nice. I've got something to show you. So in the old so in the early days of Screen Bucket, I would go to Rob's flat uh, and I would often bring him a gift. Or food or drink that would utterly disgust him. This then became a thing with the paste and became a paste off where actually you loved it. <laughs> so I won, I won, I won. 
Okay. I won the paste off in, at the end. So I'm going to try something new. This is something I found um, discounted, 50% off, uh, at the nearby supermarket. And I thought, do you know what? We need to try that on air. So, allow introducing... Oh, what the hell is that? Camel milk. Oh, for God's sake. It's camelicious. Is it? <laughs> what have you got that for? This it's is... going to taste like... <laughs> It says long life whole camel milk. And I wasn't oh. sure if that meant camel or it was a brand. So I looked on the ingredients. Um, made from 100% camel milk. I thought you were going to bring out alcohol. Is this better or worse? Worse. <laughs> yes. It's going to taste like a smelly, hairy mound. Well, that's it. Is this milk straight from the humps? Why is it like that? What do you mean? Is it powdered? Is it a little bottle inside? Liquid. Let's find out, shall we? Shake well before using it. Of course, yeah. You've got to get all the sand out of the bottom. This might be the best milk you've ever drunk. I don't know. I feel like if it was the best milk anyone's ever drunk, then people would drink it. Well, normally it's... I mean, it it would cost £3.66 for this container. So it's quite pricey. I got it for £1.83. 50% off. You can get more. I... I feel like it's going to be like I feel like it's going to be semeny. <laughs> oh, oh, look at that! It's like an actual, like one of those coffee drinks you get from the shop. Where, where was it? Where, where? Uh, oh no! Oh, oh no! That's all right. That's like milk. Doesn't smell much like uh, milk. What does that mean? <laughs> have, a, have a little, uh, have a little smell. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Oh, we, we're not going to shot it, though. I think maybe sip. Okay. All right, okay, there we go. Well, do you know what? That tastes, as you mentioned, like, like you say, that tastes like the little capsules of milk you get in a hotel. Yeah, yes, it does. But more creamy. That's really nice. I like that. That's exactly what it, that, that's what, that's what it's, it is. It's like oot milk. It's good. It's got a weird something. There's a there's a, a kick. Is it a nuttiness? Is it the richness of the? It's very rich, actually. This on uh, flipping golden lucky charms. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking wheat a bit actually. It might spunk up spunk. <laughs> spice up. It might spice up the wheat a bit. I really like that. That's really that's absolutely delicious. I have to save some for Josh. A little tiny dash more. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. All right, cool. Milky. All right, we've the Okay, listeners, we've discovered camel milk. Okay. Tip top. I want to make a white Arabian. Ooh, that sounds racial. Yeah, camel milk plus vodka. Nice. I'm going to say that without my voice breaking. (laughs) Oh my God, is it reverse puberty? Is that what the effect does? Oh my God. That's. I'm actually. That's not bad at I'm all. I'm blown away by That's that. That's not bad at all. Camel milk for all the family. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going back. Um, an addendum, Rob. Yeah. I just checked the best before date. Right. Um, 20th of April. Oh. 2020. Of April. It's a month out date. It's a month out date. It's a month out. Where did you get it again? Yeah, are we allowed to say? Is that slander? No. No way. Yeah. Seriously? 
Did, wait, what, oh, I, did I, I might have the receipt. I might take it back. What's to say? I drank this and noticed the best before. Well, 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 well. You could have died. We could have been killed. It does say long life, so that means it's been on the shelf for four years already. Mm. Maybe that's why it's got a tang. That's still maybe nice, that though. was the, yeah. Maybe that was the tang. Well, maybe that was the richness. The fact that it was going off. I did. Yeah. Oh well. Oh yeah, I'm still alive to tell the tale. Green Bucket, Adam and Rob. Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnight. Doug Lyman yeah. is set to direct Tom Cruise's space adventure. What? The plan was initially confirmed by NASA and Elon Musk's SpaceX, and now it seems concerned. Conf- Camel milk. <laughs> yeah, I it's can't... not great for the <laughs> for the clarity. <laughs> and. Do what camels do, spit. <laughs> Doug Lyman Doug is set to direct Tom Cruise's space adventure. The plan was initially confirmed space, by NASA. Doug Lyman is set to direct Tom Cruise's space adventure. That's the plan was initially confirmed by NASA and Elon Musk's SpaceX. And now it seems confirmed that Lyman is set to take charge of the expedition. The director has apparently been involved from the let the. <laughs> <laughs> The director has apparently been Camel involved milk is dangerous the vocals. and already has a proven relationship with Cruz, having also directed him on Edge of Tomorrow and American Made. Is this the first time a Scientologist has gone to space, though? What if something happens, Adam? Why, well, he might get uh, abducted by Lord Xenu. He'll be taken away what, to the, what, to what, the what? Scientologist kingdom and he'll come back with an army. Yeah, what, uh, the Theons... Is Beatons? there any sort of earthly messiah in Scientology? Oh, uh, it's Tom Cruise. It is Tom Cruise. It is Tom Cruise. And I wonder what would happen. He'd come up in the rocket, and then big alien purple hand would come and grab him through a window. Yes. Xenu. And then they'd make love. I don't know much. I know that B-52 spaceships were involved, and, and volcanoes. Right. Well, that's, yeah. that's good enough for me. Tom Cruise. Sign me up. Uh, what's next? Scott Derrickson is due to direct the long-awaited Labyrinth sequel. Ooh! Having previously been attached to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness until eventually taking a pass, Derrickson is now on board to helm Labyrinth 2, with the Henson Company also returning. Yes, 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 yes. The fact the Henson Company are returning... It's all the yeses. That's, yeah, that's it. That, that wipes clean any wrongdoings or I, apprehension. I, I think there's a tasteful thing they can do with David Barry Yellow, the Goblin King. Um, I don't know if you remember in uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Probably not. Well, there's a really beautiful scene where Hermione's got to read a bit from a book called The Deathly Hallows, or yeah. The Beetle and the Barb, where they have this lovely animation. And it's not, I don't know, it's not too forceful. It's very beautifully drawn. And they could have some sort of reference to the Goblin King like that, I always imagined in my head. Like someone telling a fairy tale and he's like animated and drawn. Yeah, I can see that. Or, do that. Uh, just have a statue. Would you have a statue? Yeah. There's got to be some, there have to be some... About link. where he went. Yeah. Because yeah, he can't, there can't be anyone else playing it. And the Goblin King. Oh, take a look and at the, my big old bulb. They need to, they need to hire... Uh, uh, Jermaine Clement yeah as uh, his son right and the Goblin Prince oh the Goblin Prince yes and 1980's Bowie I have an even bigger bulge <laughs> <laughs> um yeah 
that's very, very exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. I like that. We all I love, like we all love that. Labyrinth, and more of that world would be, uh, would be welcome. Well, that's kind of the that was the best case scenario when they brought out the Dark Crystal series. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's materialised. Well done, mm. well done, Henson's. The Venice Film Festival is set to return this September, despite the current international crisis. Oh. But now, according to the governor of Italy's Veneto region, what? What? To, according to the governor of Italy's Veneto region, right? I guess that's a region in Italy. Yes. Lucia, you wrote the Lucia thing. Zaya, the 2020 incarnation of the Venice International Film Festival, is still scheduled scheduled to go ahead in September. Deadline has warned that there has been no official word from the festival itself regarding the return of the festival. But Zaire is on the board of directors, so it looks like it's a pretty concrete statement. Are they blowing their load too soon? Uh, September. September. I guess... I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't have the answers. Shut up. Uh, do it. Yeah. See what happens. It's the worst that can happen. Nothing. The city's in a flood. Yeah. It's not that bad. Yeah. All right, moving on. Can't be, can't be professionally dealt with that talking point. <laughs> Edgar Wright's upcoming movie Last Night in Soho has been delayed until April 2021. What? There's camel milk in my freaking mouth. <laughs> it's just in there and I can't speak that. <laughs> Originally set for a September 2020 release, Wright's much anticipated film has joined the masses of big movies to be pushed back due to the coronavirus. Last Night in Soho stars Matt Smith and Anya Taylor-Joy. Not much is known about the film other than it's largely set in 19... 19- Anya Taylor-Joy? Is she from The Vavitch? I think it is her. The Eyes. Yes. Yeah, she's great. Yes. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, she's going to be in it. It's going to be set in 1960s London and it's going to have time-twisting elements. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Don't like time travel. What? Or, you don't like time travel? Uh, I don't like it. What? You've just seen crap time travel. You've seen things with a pendant and you go back in time. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, rubbish. Uh, That's why. Yeah. 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 I don't like it. Anyway, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. Edgar Wright, fair play. You want to sell more tickets? Do what you want. (laughs) What? Oh, God, the the segment's deteriorating every week. (laughs) No, it's not. It's just melting in this pit of... You gave me the milk! (laughs) You gave me the freaking milk! Listen... It's not my fault it's out of date. It's... Don't know why you gave it to me. a month. Gone. The best piece of news... The best piece... Oh, no, there's another one underneath. Look, January 2021. Anyway, carry on. Oh, so just re-stamped over the... the, What? No, maybe... How does that keep until a year? Because it's... Look, Rob... Long life, whole right. camel milk. Right. Okay. They don't go into the desert for nothing. Okay. Continue. The best news. The best television news. The best television news anyone's ever had. Ready? Ready? Yeah. Premier League. Is oh, two never mind. Oh, well, whatever. Moving on on to the next segment. Who cares? Who cares? Premier League. All those months of waiting, and we're finally getting football. Well done. Well done. The thing that never ends ended for a bit. Oh, God, I'm so happy. (sighs) I've waited so long. I had to watch German football. Do you know how boring that is? Yes, I've watched English football. Well, then you'd know. 
Okay. Well, so concludes. Shame <laughs> So concludes another successful round yeah. of Fortnite Schmortnite. Fail- absolute failure. Fantastic. Don't criticize my hard work. Nick's game reviews Assassin's Creed Odyssey. After the enormous but ultimately empty and boring world of Assassin's Creed Origins, I really had very little hope for Odyssey going into it. I didn't hate Origins, the gameplay was alright I suppose, the reinvention of the combat was welcome and the main story was interesting enough. The issue I had with it was the world itself, just too big and not enough of interest in it, plus Bayek was a drab character. So as I booted up Odyssey, I was introduced to the main character, I chose Cassandra. I was pleasantly surprised when she actually showed, well, character. Her dialogue right from the start was humorous and natural. Your starting point, the little island of Kefalonia, just off the west coast of mainland Greece, is absolutely rammed, full of busy NPCs, interesting side quests and caves, towns and temples populated with the interesting decor and environmental storytelling. The story expands out into the wider world in a gradual and reasonable way, ensuring you don't feel daunted as has been the issue in far too many open world games recently. The side quests are intriguing and fulfilling, and with the introduction of dialogue options and even consequential actions, you really feel like you're having an impact on the world. And that's the key to Odyssey's success. The world is massive, but at no point did I feel lost or bored. Every corner, nook and cranny is full of little tidbits of intrigue that sometimes can even actually draw emotions out of you. There's one particular side quest involving a little girl who wants you to get some jewellery for her friends. The emotional gut punch almost broke me. Another of Odyssey's successes is the ship warfare. They got it right with Black Flag and so haven't changed a thing, except to add the ability to ram ships to finish them off by cleaving them in half. It's glorious. So it's all good, right? Hmm. All of the positives should be enough to make me say, sod it, it's great, go play it. But, well, there is one issue that usually with games doesn't bother me too much and that's the graphical issues. Now don't get me wrong, 80% of the time this game looks exceptional. The world is vibrant and luscious and there was plenty of times where I would just stop and stare at a lake or pool of water and think, God, I wanna be there. But then the rest of the time, the graphics would glitch or the performance would drop and oh my word, there'd be textures popping in and out all over the place, foliage appearing and disappearing, shading flicking from one color to the next and shadows just one minute they're there, the next minute they're gone. The characters would go from looking exceptional to last generation within the same cutscene. And the frame rate, oh god the frame rate. I was playing on my Xbox One X, supposedly the most powerful console available today, and I was lucky if I got even a whole minute of consistent 30 frames per second. I dread to think what it would be like on other consoles. And that's the real shame here. Ubisoft have succeeded in creating characters that are enjoyable to spend time with, a world so full and lively and believable that I would happily holiday there and a storyline so inventive and enthralling that I had to keep reminding myself I was actually even playing an Assassin's Creed game. And yet it's all spoiled by the graphical glitches that draw you straight out of that experience. Ultimately, video games are about immersion. 
and if the graphical glitches and frame rate drops are so bad that they can break that immersion, then that's a huge problem. If people are confused as to why the next Assassin's Creed installment, Valhalla, will only be getting 30fps on the new consoles, well just look at the fact that they couldn't even get 30fps right on the current generation of consoles. Assassin's Creed Odyssey really is a superb example of storytelling, whether environmental or character driven, but this may be one to wait for, at least until the new generation to see if they can smooth out the performance with the new consoles, or just play it on a high-end PC if you can afford it. Oh, mademoiselle, would you like to have a film discussion? Oh yes, monsieur, I would love to have an in-depth film discussion with you. Like that do on screen, bucket. So we got 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. I'd like to speak to him, Miss Catherine Tremell, please. Is she a suspect? She's a writer. She published a novel. It's about a retired rock and roll star who gets murdered by his girlfriend. You know how she does the boyfriend? With an ice pick. She intended the book to be her alibi. You didn't feel anything for him, you just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning, he gave me a lot of pleasure. You like playing games? Games are fun. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. How's it feel to kill someone? You tell me. People. She manipulates people. She's evil! Freeze! I have nothing too high. You playing a game here? I'm pretty Games are over. Robert! Adam. You chose the word devious. I did choose the word devious. Um, and what was I, your thought process when you got the word devious? Uh, so I wanted to think of an underhanded, uh, scheming protagonist. Um, I almost went with Catch Me If You Can, the Leonardo DiCaprio based on a true oh, person. God. Well, it's very good. I haven't watched it in a long time. Um, Clockwork Orange sprang to mind. You made the point that they weren't so much devious as just plain, like, just, sick and twisted. Just thugs. Yeah, just thugs. Um, yeah, I had a little thing. And then... Basic Instinct had to be the one. Yes, and this is a prime devious film. Ah. There's even a line, and I'm trying to find the actual line, but it's something like, this is the work of someone, a devious, yeah, psycho- sociopathic, whatever. One of the psychotherapists that was saying it. And interestingly, I was talking about Hellraiser earlier, and Hellraiser 2, 1. Hellraiser 1 is in the film. Yeah, it's in the background on a late night. And that's night. kind of about devious people. <laughs> that's about deviants. That's about psychos. The first one's got killers. Anyway, digress. Deviance is different to devious. Yeah, but it's got devious people in Hellraiser. Yeah, I suppose. Plotting murderers and affairs. So does Event Horizon. True. So does but, everything. But anyway, anyway, so the film we chose, you chose. Yeah, Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct, 1992. Um... Described as a neo-noir erotic thriller, I'd agree with that. Yep. I was towards the end. I think I even said it. It should have been in black and white. Yeah. I mean, it worked. It would have worked just as well. Oh, it would have worked fantastically. Uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven, one of my favourite directors. 
Yeah. Growing on you, I think. Well, very much so. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, as we said earlier, I saw Showgirls earlier in the year and it's... um. There's some similarities, especially in like the kind of not very sexy, jagged movements. Yeah, what the hell's that about? I think it was a 90s thing. I think it was just sort of exploration of like raw passion in sex. But, but even when they're dancing. Because, yeah, that's what I mean. The dancing, it's all in the dancing as well, but it looks silly. It looks silly. It looks aggressive and it looks like, okay, it, it okay, back away from me. It doesn't translate well onto film. It just looks a bit like um, stage, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks. It just looks robotic, and but not in a cool robot dance. Not way. in a robot dance way, no. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. So, basically, instinct. I think I've seen it before, before our screening. I yeah. sort of remember the beginning and the end. I didn't remember the middle so much. I think the first half is much better than the second half. It, yeah, it loses itself. I think it um, does. We were saying that. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but uh, the main character Nick, his costume goes a bit weird at one point he has a toby Maguire moment in spider-man 3 he, yeah so he's like a I don't know, late 40s ish yeah it's, yeah uh and at the beginning and at the end actually he, he's sort of dressed in a suit his hair's kind of you know slipped back and of the time you know uh, but then halfway through he starts wearing bomber jackets and low-cut t-shirts t-shirts yeah. it just comes out of nowhere and it's it's noticeably jarring and I, I wonder if it's that's because it's dated, because it's obviously a metaphor with her drawing out the kind of sinner in him. Yeah, that's well, that's yeah, that's the impression. It's like he's becoming. It's the equivalent of wearing a leather jacket and starting smoking. But it kind of like it, nowadays it looks as silly as one of us wearing a freaking varsity jacket. Yeah, on a night out, or like I, I don't know, it looks. It well, looks bad. It, it, yeah, it brings to mind someone suddenly wearing what uh, IT crowd when. Um, uh, Roy wants to be a bad boy. Oh yeah! So he wears a leather jacket and sunglasses and stuff. Is that? It's it is that? that. Yeah. It is that? Yeah. So that's hundred percent what it is. So it's a, uh, I mean, notorious film for one scene in particular. Oh yes. Sharon Stone in an interrogation room. Catherine, her name is, isn't it? Uh, in an interrogation room, basically toying with the, uh, with the interrogators, the men. You like playing games, don't you? I have a degree in psychology. It goes with the turf. Games are fun. What about boxing? That's a game. Is that fun too? I don't think that's relevant to this inquiry. Boxing was fun till Manny died. How'd you feel when he died? I loved him. It hurt. How'd you feel when I told you Johnny Boz had died? I felt like someone had read my book and was playing a game. But it didn't hurt. No. Because you didn't love him. Now, believe it or not, that, two hours ago, was the first time I've ever seen that scene in my life. That's mad. I've never seen Basic Instinct before today. Yeah. I've seen it parodied by everything under the sun. Well, yes. <laughs> um, most recently, I saw it in uh, the uh, Netflix documentary Don't F With Cats about a killer who killed a couple of people and he was influenced by Basic Instinct, and there's a scene where he's been interrogated, and he crosses his legs whilst he, he asks for a cigarette, right, okay. and he yaks out her, and um, says things that she says, and is absolutely obsessed with the movie, and he even mm. copycats one of the murders. Okay, to wow. To that extent. That's, that's so, the effect of Basic Instinct is to the extent that someone has killed in that, that's been influenced to murder. In the email that was sent to Alex West of the Sun, there's a specific line that's mentioned. 
which is almost a direct ripoff of the line that Sharon Stone says. Killing isn't like smoking. You can quit. Quite shocking because it doesn't glorify it. It's not like American Psycho. No. It doesn't like linger on the deaths. The deaths just sort of happen. Yeah. It's the, the, but there's long lingering sequences of sex beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's the that. So it's weird that you would focus on that. Mm. Mm. Well, there you go. I think it was the power to manipulate that this particular guy yes. found fascinating. And speaking of, have you seen Gone Girl? No. See, I don't know whether Gone Girl was deliberately like going off the back of of Basic Instinct because the way it's shot is quite similar. The way it lingers on the the female antagonist as well. David Fincher directed that. And I do wonder if David Fincher took an influence from this, whether subconscious or not. Mm. I think back-to-back they'd work really well. Do you reckon? Yeah. Mm. Don Girl's a slightly different tale. It's more about the media and, right. first, and how to manipulate society and the media impression of you and stuff. The actual sort of basic instinct stuff is quite minor, um, although very graphic. This was graphic as well in its way. The violence was quite surprising. Yeah, I mean, right from the off. Yeah, first it's scene. Paul Verhoeven, though, isn't it? Yeah, true. Right but from, yes. Right from the off, uh, we start with a blonde woman. We can't quite make out her face. She is riding sexually, erotically, shagging yes. a man in a bed. And then he ties her up, him up. She ties him up, She yes. ties him up and gets an ice pick out and stabs the living daylights out of him. And he makes a horrible face. There's a stab him in the face. Stabs him in the face. His eyes go really wide. He's really minging. Uh, yeah, so suddenly this murder, and this is how the film kicks off. We're introduced to the uh, uh, San Francisco Police Department, including Nick, uh, our, our slightly dodgy protagonist, uh, sort of ex-smoker, ex-alcoholic police detective with a tragic past. Yes. Real sort of noir setup. Um, they find that the the guy who's died was a was a rock star. Uh, Turned to the art, he was a very up a respected member of the art yes, society. So as well. the police department lean on this; they wanted to find out who did it. Um, there's sightings of him with his girlfriend, uh, the wonderful Catherine, played by Sharon Stone, uh, and they go to find her, and she doesn't give up much information. No. In fact, she's smiling a lot. She's immediately like, it's her. Yeah. She did it. <laughs> so the way like, they tell her, you know, he, she sort of says to him, he's dead. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, well why are you not? There's no reaction. She's smiling the, the mm. entire conversation. Oh, that's psychotic. And you said at the time, you'd say, that is grounds to take someone down the station instantly. Yeah, they? my understanding was, especially in American police, they the first they use like the nine one one call as evidence. Mm. They judge your reaction to the news, and they will judge you in the first twenty seconds of seeing you how you respond. Smiling and joking, get in the bloody car. Mm. That's funny. Get in the bloody car. Uh, yeah, so it's quite, it's quite bizarre. Eventually, they decide to put her in, and. Um, and we have the famous interview, the interrogation. Well, before scene. the interview, we um, get like they're talking about her. They're talking about her qualifications and stuff. But when she's actually been driven to the interview, we get the first signs of manipulation. Do you have a cigarette? I don't smoke. Yes, you do. I quit. Congratulations.
thought you didn't have any cigarettes. Oh, I found some in my pocket. Would you like one? I told you I quit. It won't last. And so, right from the off, you're thinking, okay, what's her game here? She did it, obviously. Well, but she, what's her game? She refers to Nick by name throughout, from almost immediately on, on meeting them. And when they go to pick her up, he finds newspapers with his articles about the tragic incident of his past. Mm. Uh, so she's researching him. She's a... Catherine is a... She's studied psychology, studied literature, she's a writer, and she wrote a murder mystery story where a rock star gets stabbed to death with an ice pick by his girlfriend. Yes. And that's enough for the police department to go, hang on a minute! Yeah, well, there's something not quite right here. There's something a bit fishy. Even to the details, like the silk scarf... The white silk scarf in used time. So, yeah, they pull her in. Um, the interrogation scene, her manipulation and powers of control just go skyrocket in this scene. And we get the cameras whooshing around. It's, as a scene, I think it might be one of the sort of highlights of the 90s, especially of the genre. Oh, 100%. Because it, it, the, there's constant movement. Everyone has, you know exactly how everyone's feeling. Every time she fixes her attention on someone... You get the idea of them quite up close, looking sweaty or fidgeting or doing something with their drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's one guy who's clearly besotted with her, so he just wants to agree with her. Yeah. And you know that he... And so there's one point, he was like, why are you talking? Why is anyone listening? She obviously focuses her attention on Nick, starts calling him by the name, which makes the rest of the interviewers like wary suspicious of them, wary of them, and wary, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of where her tendrils start digging into Nick. Because soon after he's he's uh, he come on. he goes a bit manic. He starts drinking and smoking again. Um, so he gets let go from the force for a little bit while he has a psych evaluation and all this stuff. And that's when he falls into her trap. She's now in full research mode. She's studying Nick as the protagonist for her new book, um, and she's just toying with him. And and he he starts off with this idea of playing the game back. And toy with her, but it yeah. doesn't work. She's in power the whole time. Oh, yeah. And then you find out she's gay, but she's not. She's got this girlfriend who's very jealous of them. So she's, and then you find out little hints of a backstory with uh, Nick's previous lover, the police psych mm. therapist. So you're getting many examples of her, you know, poisoning other people's minds and stuff. Like oh, that. Uh, the, the whole timeline of her life, just like there's, there's suspicions over her parents. Yeah, and how they died yeah it's uh it's interesting it's a really it's a really well thought out well planned murder mystery my favorite scene i think was when nix goes into the questioning room himself after his rival is found oh, yes. shot in the head and mimics everything she was doing he in the first scene um catherine lights up a cigarette he goes are you gonna find me for smoking when they protest exactly the same thing with nick yeah. Starts looking around the room. Luckily, he's not wearing a skirt and he doesn't uncross his legs. <laughs> we would have been greeted with a ball sack. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, and that was such a brilliant mo- moment because it was kind of the idea that he was, he almost admires her. He admires the control that she has and the kind of blase-ness. It's kind of seeped into him. Yeah, and without making a massive deal about it, it's the thing, isn't it? Mimicry is the highest form of flattery. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's just embodying her spirit. And... Sure enough, gets let out, basically mm. shot free. Um, 
yeah, just, just this constant web of lies. This is why, again, it makes me think of a couple of other things as well. There's Zodiac. Yeah. Zodiac has this big web of mystery and confusion. Basic Instinct, although weirdly badly view, reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes, it has all the foundations of everything that's come since, I think. It's um, my, like, it has all the foundations of brilliant and right um where i struggled with it was um i think they rushed a bit of the connections too much because they brought in they bring in a second family of children who get killed don't they there's like two different families yes and then well they're linked to roxy and they're linked to roxy but then you're like who's that who's that who's that who's that yeah and um i think because of the pace of the film i mean after the second half when it goes into different people and different people's experiences with um with catherine you kind of get a bit lost and the, yes, I noticed you again. Slightly, like bit, I, uh, a lot comes very quickly. A lot comes very quickly, and um, the intrigue and the interest of the film kind of loses pace. The first half, you're very much, oh my god, this is fascinating. Look how much power she has over him. Look what he's she's turning him into, and then all of a sudden, around about the scene with the club, with the scene <laughs> yeah. dancing, I yeah. think that's kind of yeah. But then again, that's where they first hook up. So it's, maybe that's it. Maybe the thrill of the chase is over. I don't know. Yeah, it does change, I think. Like, he falls into a trap and then struggles to get out. It's only when his partner, uh, Gus, manages to sort of slap him into awareness. And also the the murder attempt, the assassination attempt mm. on Nick. Yeah, and there's the trouble. It, it's, a, it's an early 90s erotic thriller. And there is lots of eroticness. And I think he gets lost in that a bit as well. Yeah. I think yeah, there's two ways of playing the film. One, it could be uh, uh, murder she wrote, murder mystery about a, a woman manipulating people and killing them. Or you do an erotic thriller and it sort of falls in the middle. And I think it leans both ways yeah. at different points in the film. So he goes, oh, it's a murder mystery. And it's not much of a mystery. No, there's no mystery. There's no mystery. I, it, you very quickly know exactly who it is. They try and throw you a red herring by having another blonde woman turn up. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, it tries it again as well. And by that point, like, no, I know who did it. I think it needs to be 20 minutes shorter. I think if they squeeze that story... It is in, a long film. I think, for, and especially for the story it tells, it's not like some gangster epic or something. You know, it's a... It's, uh, it's a thriller with murders and sex, and that doesn't have to be two hour, over two hours long. Well, yeah, I think there's probably about forty minutes of just sex. Mm. There's lots of uh, Sharon Stone bum bum. Yes, and she has a lovely bottom. Yes, she does. Um, Let's move past this. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, the uh, one other thing I'd talk about is the uh, the rape scene does not hold up well. It's... Ah, now yes, that that was uncomfortable. Yeah. I didn't like that. And, and uh, well, the Game of Thrones, I think maybe series five, there's a scene where Jamie Lannister, Lannister comes back and rapes his sister on his dead, on their dead son's body. Jesus Christ. But it's... Why did anyone watch that? I know. <laughs> and it's not, and it's kind of, it's not as bad as that in terms of there's not a dead son in between them, but it's as bad in, as in the fact that like, he's been very violent with her and very forceful. And I don't think they'd, I feel like... they'd show that today. Uh yeah, I mean I don't think you'd get in. She clearly wasn't, clearly didn't affect the character because she was still, she's angry at him, but sort of carried on. Yeah, I think that might be a 
thing of the times. Yeah, definitely. I feel like early 90s, late 80s, there was a lot of that. Yeah. And it was a bit like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was really uncomfortable watching now. Uh, Michael Douglas... I mean, he's the luckiest man alive. Yes, yes. He's he is the luckiest man scored, alive. Scored uh, uh, something of the century with that, I, so to speak. Every, yeah. His whole life is like that. Uh, is he good in this? I mean, he's he's Michael Douglas in this. He has the face and the charm and the charisma and... I wonder what would be like. What would it be if it was Harrison Ford? I was about to say Harrison. I was about to say Harrison yeah. Ford. Um, he would be a bit more bumbling. He wouldn't be as confident. I think maybe he'd be a bit more like. Yeah, I suppose a bit more serious. Do you know as well? I wonder if this was deliberate because Michael Douglas is in good shape in this film, but he's still an older detective, grizzled detective type. Yeah. Harrison Ford, even until quite late in his career, would have been too attractive. Do you think? I think part of it is that there's this beautiful woman who's going with this guy because she's controlling him, not because she's attracted to him. Right. I think there's a, something in that as well. I think that's not something they say, but it's something your brain puts together. Right. Because you look at them going, <laughs> especially when he's in the club, and you're like, what is that? Yeah, come on, man. Do you know what I mean? Take that V-neck t-shirt off. I don't know who, what's another, is there another Harrison Ford type? Pierce Brosnan. Um... Uh, again, too handsome. Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to kill me once, baby. Uh, yeah. There must be someone else. My brain's gone. It's too hot in it's here. It's too hot. It's too hot. Let's move on. All right. So, basic instinct. Where's it going? It's not going in the Hall of Fame. No, I agree. It's not going. It's a great. It's a great movie. Um, I can see why it's got cult status. It's got one of the greatest scenes of all time. No, nah, not of all time. It's got one of the great scenes of the nineties, like you said. Um, but no, it is not a masterpiece of cinema. No, I think yeah, there's highlights, no. but it does drag on, doesn't it? Yeah, it does drag. Yeah, watch Don Girl. Yeah, David Fincher. I can't be bothered. So I'm not going to watch it. Why not? Because I know what happens at the end. Yeah, but it's the journey. Is it? It's all the all the media manipulation. It's awesome. All right, I'll give it a go. Yeah, you won't. You're just mm. lying, everyone. I'll add it. To, I'll add it to the list. Adam's retro film reviews. The American, 2010. Hello, it's Jack. I want out. Consider it your last job. You don't even have to pull the trigger. You're an American. Let's see. A working vacation. You're the hands of a craftsman. You're good with machines. I do have a good head. The Belgians think someone might have put a tail on you. You've got a long list of enemies, Jack. I told them no one gets close to you. They don't. You're a good man, but uh, you have a secret. We have done much sinning. All men are sinners. Everything I've done, I've had good cause to do. Another film I've seen many times before. The American is a faintly noir action thriller adapted from the novel A Very Private Gentleman by Martin Booth. Directed by Anton Corbin and, and written by Rowan Yoffe, the American introduces us to Jack, played by George Clooney, a contract killer gunsmith and man on the run. When we first meet Jack, he's getting cosy with his lover Ingrid in the Swedish countryside until he's attacked by unseen snipers deep in the woods. 
To Ingrid's shock, Jack pulls a gun and quickly dispatches the would-be assassins before turning the gun on the only other witness, Ingrid. Disturbed that he was found, Jack retreats to Rome to get in contact with his handler Pavel, played by uh, Johan Laysom. Pavel isn't happy, but provides an address for Jack to hide away until further notice. Soon, Jack is en route deep into the picturesque mountain villages of Italy, eventually settling on Castle del Monte, changing his name to Edward. Initially, keeping his head down, Jack, let's call him Edward, is noticed by the locals, and a faint friendship emerges between Edward and the local priest, Father Benedetto, played by Paolo Bonacelli. As Edward gets more comfortable, he begins to frequent the local brothel, soon getting very close to one woman in particular, Clara, played by the beautiful Violante Placido, and they begin to meet outside of work. Meanwhile, Pavel hasn't forgotten Edward and tasks him to meet with another contract killer, a Mathilda, played by Fekla Rutten. She requests Edward build her a gun, a sniper rifle, with enough stopping power to take out her target while still being able to easily fit into a small bag or case. It will take some work, and Edward sets to it, but... His heart isn't in it. The more he talks with Father Benedetto, the more he falls for Clara, the more he wants out of it. Haunted by the death of Ingrid and still watching his back for the arrival of more Swedish assassins, Edward is drawn more and more to the peaceful countryside. His fascination with butterflies soon earning him the nickname Mr. Butterfly by both Matilda and Clara. But as the job comes to an end, Edward is forced to confront the harsh reality that the price to get out of the game is a heavy one. The American absolutely blows me away every time. Inspired by spaghetti western genre, there are also frequent references to Sergio Leone, both visually and in the soundtrack, and most notably in the atmosphere. Yes, the American might have been a rough take on the James Bond franchise, but the atmosphere and pacing of this film is slow, methodic, and deeply memorable. Every lingering shot paints a picture in your mind. You know every narrow alley, every street, every angle to disappear into. Indeed, the director was inspired by the Venetian streets in Don't Look Now for many of these shots, and it absolutely works. The story, while second to atmos- the story, while second to the Americans' atmosphere, is light but beautifully heartbreaking and earnest. And well, all I can say is go watch it yourself. It's on Netflix right now, and I really won't do the film justice in saying any more. Check it out. A man can be rich if he has God in his heart. I don't think God's very interested in me, Boobs. What? <laughs> boobs. Oh. Boobs. Oh. And. Yes. Blood. Oh. Ooh. A festival in Los Angeles that um, plays homage to those very little strange niche movies of uh, big bosomed uh, heroines fighting in bloody ways, and maybe there's vampires and other stuff. Okay. Yeah, what do you think? Sounds amazing. Yeah. We are, you know, this is, this is, we like all of the films, me and Adam, we like, um, and Josh, we like our our silly films, our weird films, our wonderful films. Um, We do like No Holes Barred, um, No Worry of Cheese or Corn, very silly, big boobed. Corn? Guns. um, Did I say porn? You said corn, which is interesting. The camel's milk. (laughs) Yes, so we like silly films that make us laugh, that go ridiculous, over the top. Try yeah. and be earnest, especially, but they just fail horribly, and that's that's the niche we enjoy, and that's kind of where we were with Quaggers. We wanted to make something silly, over the top, ridiculous, and plan on making many more like it. So we found this film festival, which 
it looks exactly what we need to do. We need to be doing. In fact, I wonder if we should just enter Coggers into it anyway. Uh, so, any ca- grindhouse or exploitation genre, uh, including horror, sci-fi, action, martial arts, film noir, uh, black exploitation, comedy, it's all there. Um, this include the sort of trimary type films like what was that a nymphoid what in dinosaur hell uh a nymphoid barbarian in dinosaur hell nymphoid warrior in dinosaur hell is it a nymphoid barbarian in dinosaur hell warrior nymphoid nymphoid a nymphoid barbarian in dinosaur hell whatever it was yes um so that kind of movie as well i think this Absolutely covers trauma. Yeah. It mentions in the blurb here, uh, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Corman as the classics. Um, but this, yes, I think. Uh, bloody Romeo, Tromeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. What a film. What a film. That would land so well in this. Obviously, if it was new. Although it does say any films produced any year in any category. Huh. Well, what so if you were to make the perfect movie for this film festival, Adam? What would you? What would you? What would be uh, the necessary components? Right. So, well, okay. So, write what you know. Number one. So, let's stick in our breadth of knowledge. Okay. So, we need boobs. We need blood. We need something silly. Okay. I we we always lean comedy anyway. I uh, for this film, I would like to suggest, but our protagonist be a female. Okay. Um. But what world would she be in? Well, this is the only trouble with female protagonists is we don't know a female protagonist. It's all right, we'll get a female writer in. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's pitch something. So, what do we know? Um, What's our shared knowledge bases? Well, we know uh, sci-fi. We know um, the woods. Yeah, Woods is a good one, yeah. The, uh, we know... We've got shared knowledge in sort of Arthurian folk. Yes, we do. Being grown up and living in a small, contained area. Yeah, okay. We know college, we know British schools. What else we know? Churches. Okay. We grew up Catholic. Yeah. I grew up Church of England. Is there any other shared caravan holidays, camping Camping, I've never been on a caravan holiday before. We've been camping, that's basically the same. Okay. Festivals, music, gigs? I, I, that's just you. Yeah. All right, so okay, I'm, I'm sensing a little uh, heritage, a little British heritage and all that. Well, yeah, we have to make... Of cust- custom heritage. It has to be our, you know, we have to stand out from all these Americans entering. Okay, right. Um, could she be some sort of... Arthurian warrior, or maybe the Lady of the Lake, who has been revived. I was just thinking Lady of the Lake. Okay. Do we, would we want it to be protag- uh, set contemporary? Set now, she's revived. Yep. Um, because of a, a dragon, and Arthur's dead, they can't get Arthur, so they get the Lady? <laughs> Don't know. Don't know about that. I feel like the Lady of the Lake is someone who gives you the power to do the quest. Okay. She's not going to be a kick-ass, big-breasted... Well, she still could be. Okay. But I don't think she should be the protagonist. She should be the 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 wise guide. The oh, Obi-Wan. Right. The one who pushes you on the path to glory. All right, well, why don't we get a collection of dopey college students played by 25-year-olds? Yes. 
with hairlines. Yeah. Receding okay. hairlines. Well, okay, so, okay. How do we bring in the exploitation side of it? Well, we like Troma. Troma is regarded as the punk of film. How about Merlin's the bad guy? Okay. And he's got like a horde of nasty little gimp men. And they're <laughs> taking they're taking the women from the college and the town and locking them in their cells for their erotic pleasure. Okay. But, I like it. And four students are out getting high and smoking dope and drinking kegs in the forest. Right. And they are punks. And they're punks. They're proper 70s punks. Punks. They are... They're the Sex Pistols reimagined. Spit through the eye of the needle punks. Right. Right. And they're high and they're drunk and whatever. And they stumble on the Lady of the Lake, Mm. who is this ethereal... She's been summoned by the dark magic yeah. of, of that's called him Gandalf, uh, Merlin. Merlin and his little gimpy men. Uh, so she gives them powers. It's turning right. into like a kiss. It's turning into kiss the Power Rangers. Kiss, yeah. <laughs> what if they do? What if they do all get their own weapons and stuff? Like you get the fat punk gets a hammer. Hmm, um, that's an interesting idea. They can kill the, the the nasty evil gimps in like really splastic ways yeah well she gave the sword to arthur there's no she could have a whole armory back there do um yeah 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 yeah. that's true yeah she's got the other weapons so the guy's got a well hey what what the what the sort of D &D tropes you've got the the heavy the gimli yeah the thief so that'd be the 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 hammer yeah the archer yeah with the bow yeah but he fires uh, safety pins. Nice. Stick oh, with me. Cool. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> Giant uh, you gotta have a sword guy. There's the leader normally. He's got a bass guitar. <gasps> That's the axe. That's the axe. Okay. Oh yeah, they're in a band and they're, they're so okay. Drumstick thief. Drumstick knives. Sword. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So it's a band get magically infused weapons, and have to track down. Merlin. And his little men. Okay, yeah. all right. So I'm, I'm thinking this is sort of Glastonbury area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can there be three, uh, like, they've got, like, their punk girlfriends maybe get kidnapped and they've got to go after them? Or are they, like, still around, mocking them and stuff? Oh, you wanted a female protagonist, so it's a female band. Oh. Uh, a la, who are the ones who got in trouble in Russia? Oh, that right. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, we can say that. The <laughs> um, they're going to save their boyfriends. Got it. There you go. They've who've been taken by Merlin, and Merlin's going to turn them into more gimp soldiers. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Okay. Oh, I like it. And it's all, and they cover, and the soundtrack can therefore be like covers of the punks of Avalon. The punks of Avalon. Yes. And that's why the Lady of the Lake chooses them. So how do you make it have a more ridiculous title? Big Breasted Punks of Avalon. Yeah, well, that's it. It, it, has, it, has, it, has, it has to keep getting longer, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, 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 fishnets in the Stone. Come on, just brainstorm um, it. Big Boobed Knights of Camelot versus Nazi Merlin. Uh, bar Furry. Boob Fairy. No, no. Uh, v- uh, 
the the ladies of the lady of the labia, <laughs> the the lady of the lake. Big titted ruffians versus Merlin and his naughty gimboids. <laughs> yeah, let me write that down. <laughs> Big titted ruffians. Ruffi- ruffians. Um. Big. Oh, let's carry on. Big titted ruffians versus Merlin. You said gimboid. Is that right? Gimps and his and his and his army of gimps. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about ruffians. Yeah, um, hell. Uh, big, uh, big. Oh, maybe they're hell's angels. Big titted hellcats. A uh, big, big titted. Uh, big titted sex vixens. Um, punk Amazons. Yes. Big titted punk Amazons versus Merlin and his <laughs> army of gimps. This is brilliant. This might be the best idea we've ever had. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Coming to a cinema well, near well, you. How does it end? What's the ending? Is this just a fight? Well, I've got, I've kind of got Deathstalker in my head where they reached an evil headquarters. This is the third like, show in a row we've talked about Deathstalker. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to play the music again. You're gonna have to play the music with electric guitar. Uh-huh. Um, they break into the headquarters. They're like halfway to turning their their dumb boyfriends. They're almost full gimp. Well, well, well. How how. How female empowerment are we going? Maybe they're too late. And they have to kill their boyfriends. Because they don't need men. Well, then that's just... Well, no, because sometimes girls want to save the yeah, day. And get the boy. Well, the they, still save, the other way around. they still save the day. Why can't but they, they have, have to do it by beating up their get, boyfriends. Why can't they get their boyfriends back at the end? I just... Before, no, well, that can still happen. But I still, there, should be, there could be a sequence where they fight be, them. Yeah, yeah, we can do and that. And then okay. they defeat... Merlin and get a fix, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and reverses the spell. Or something. Merlin have like a side lady with m- the biggest boobs of all time. Uh, like a witch. Vivian, isn't it? Who's Vivian? That's the uh, Nemu is the other name. That's the evil woman who oh. sides with Morgana. Oh. oh. And originally, that and that's why he's pissed off because he got dumped. Oh. Merlin got dumped. Merlin got dumped. By Nemu, Vivian, whatever. They had an erotic threesome with Arthur and Lancelot. It'd be Lancelot, yeah. Yeah, 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 Lancelot. Okay, so he's bitter. Yeah, we can have a flashback with a threesome in it. You punk Amazons. We're going to kick your ass, Merlin. (laughs) (laughs) No, you won't. I'm Merlin, and I have an army of gimps. You dirty rotter. You dirty, dirty rotter. That that has to happen. He sits them down. In an interview. Some sort of spell and the vines wrap around their arms and they get tied up. And they have to listen to him talking. And they just start doing that. Come on. Come on. Out of it. Say the rude word. (laughs) (laughs) It's a verb. It provides itself. I mean, I thought this would be a funny uh, little... Segment, but this might, this is, this might do it. For those of you who don't know, there's a famous Sex Pistols interview. Uh, it goes off the rails very fast. Google it. Um, but yeah, that has to be in a movie. It does. It has that has a version of it. I think we're going to make this. I think we're going to make it. Right. Anyway. Let's... Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> you dirty son. <laughs> you dirty old man. Well, keep going, Jim. Keep going. <laughs> they came to party. Get away from me, mate. They came from outer space. 
but for these unhappy campers. Just put this thing on. Things are about to get slimy. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better keep an eye out for... Quaggers! They're mean, they're insane, and they're everywhere. And they've got an appetite for naughty campers. Starring Jody Bennett, Bailey Pillbeam, Isabel Allbutt, and Blake Aiden. Quaggers! They're everywhere. We are not going back in that tent. Watch it now at hollowdellmedia.vhx.tv And that was the show, Robert. Yeah, um, we had a bad moment with Fortnite Schmort and I, but I think we rescued it with the best movie idea of all time. Yes, I believe so. Uh, I blame the camel milk entirely. I can't, yeah. still can't even tell. Yeah. The camel milk has had a bad effect. Um, vengeance will be mine. I'll bring, maybe next week I'll have my own show and tell. Mm, dog milk. Yeah. Ooh, God. Mm. Dog poo. Yeah, um, a cockapoo. Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, my parents did a cockapoo. That's the cutest little yeah, doggy. He's so the good boy. In fact, good girl. Girl. Good girl. Sandy is the girl's name. Good girl, doggy. <sighs> so yes, I'm forward to seeing her. Uh, by the time this show goes out, we'll be able to meet in groups of six people. Yeah, and McDonald's drive-throughs across the country will be letting you eat their precious cows once more. Really? Next week. Including Hitchin. Apparently all the drive through That's what I've been told. Someone told me outside. If, if they're wrong, it's annoying. But um, yeah, apparently next week there's, the drive throughs are back. Yes, if you like what you hear, you can follow us at screen underscore bucket on Twitter. Uh, also at Holodell Media on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also, if you're really, really nice, please, if you're really very nice. Oh, yes. Uh, please could you go on our Patreon at www.patreon.com. Slash Holiday Media, uh, and just if you can throw us just the price of a cup of coffee, it would make the world of difference. Yes, all of the money goes straight back into our projects, and you'll be helping us with our future escapades, bringing you glorious, glorious movies. Yes, and, and also so while you're at it, go and check out our YouTube channel. No one looks at our YouTube channel. Yeah, look at all of our wonderful work. Our silly, silly films. Yeah, we have a lot of work. Yes, and enjoy it all. Enjoy it all, in, or else in glorious Technicolor. Yes. Uh... That's it. Oh, God, there's one very important thing missing. What? You notice we didn't pick a word for the film next time, because next time is my birthday show. It's actually coming out on your birthday. It's actually coming out on my birthday. Uh, last time, uh, Rob was on a... Uh, I think you were on a holiday or something. So I brought in Matt Butler, the drummer from Electric Black, and we taught Transformers the movie. Nice. Classic. Uh, so next time, I'll pick another of my childhood favourites and we'll watch that. How exciting. Yes. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye. You must see a nymphoid barbarian in dinosaur hell, the prehistoric and the prehumescent, together at last.